Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today it is Monday, March 9. I almost said February, uh, but it, it's March. We've got Joe Healy here again. It is. We just finished up week weekend four of the college baseball season, Joe, and it was an interesting weekend. We had the ACC start conference play out on the East Coast, out on the West Coast where you are. Uh, there was a lot of action, especially at the Southern California College Baseball Classic, a.k.a. The tournament formerly known as the Dodger Stadium Classic. Uh, that was a fun tournament for, for you. And, you know, kind of in between, there was a lot of just getting ready for conference play for, for most of the other major conferences. But there, there was still plenty to talk about last night when we rearranged the top 25. Florida remains number one. Texas Tech remains number two. Uh, there was some movement behind them, however, and we brought in two new teams. They are Pepperdine at 16 and Virginia at 17. But Joe, you spent the weekend in sunny Southern California. How was, uh, how was your SoCal lifestyle there? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to announce on this podcast that I'm officially a California person now. Um, <laughs> now, let me be clear by what I mean by that. Like, I, I don't have a good enough tan to be a California person. I uh, am not in good enough shape to be a California person. Um, however, like, I just feel like I embody the lifestyle. I always have. I always said this. Like, before this, I had actually never set foot in the state of California before this weekend. And I always said, I've never been to California, but I just feel like I'm a California person. And I, I was correct. Like, uh, I just uh, kind of dig the lifestyle for sure. Um, so that that was, uh, you know, got to got to come out here and see the Pacific Ocean, see the water and get some, some sunshine. And, I, I, you know, it's been a little bit rainy back in Durham. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks and kind of a little bit chilly. So it's been kind of nice to, to escape that a little bit. Um, but, uh, and, and the baseball was great. I mean, this was kind of an epicenter. We talked about that on the podcast last week that, uh, you know, the, the, the attention was kind of being turned to the West coast for this week, given that, you know, uh, some of the other major, like the sec, for example, was kind of in their warm up week before they start conference play and, um, other conferences hadn't yet started conference play. So, uh, there was a lot of attention being paid out here and it's funny. I mean, some of the movement in the top 25 came because of what happened out here, Vanderbilt dropping, for example, and uh, Pepperdine coming into the rankings, notably. But um, we still had a lot of movement that wasn't, you know, I kind of came into the week thinking this might be one of the more stagnant weeks just because he figured SEC teams for the most part would be taking care of business and non-conference and maybe there'd be some ACC movement, uh, you know, because they started conference play. But it really was more than that. I mean, this was kind of a difficult week where we, uh, you know, at least in the back half of the rankings, just kind of started from the standpoint of, you know, who do we want in right now? And let's not really necessarily uh, parse through the resumes just yet. Like, let's just look at, you know, who we want to be involved here. And then we can get down to the nitty gritty later, which is not typically where we start from. No, it was uh, it was a bit strange. We got to, I don't know, somewhere like 12, 14. And I told Joe when we were ranking like, all right, anyone from here on out that we don't have placed, that they're vulnerable. Like, they, we could drop them with the exception of, like, three or four teams that we have to figure out where they go. And otherwise, I, I don't care that they were ranked last week. Like, they, they might go out. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tricky time of year because the first four weeks, you know, when everyone, for the most part, is playing non-conference, uh, schedule, strength of schedule varies, varies greatly, and we don't have a whole lot to go on. But, at, you know, for, for some of these teams, they just really haven't played anyone. And for other teams, you know, they really have 
played a, a difficult schedule. And there's now a month's worth of data, and it's it's really time to to really be starting to truly value that data more than expectations or eye test or, or any of the rest of that. And uh, so what that led to was, you know, Auburn, which swept Chicago State over the weekend, you know, ultimately gets squeezed out of the top 25 this week because, you know, if you look at the what they've accomplished so far this season, they, they're winning the Horizon League. And that, that's about as much as I can say for the Tigers. I, I don't know what to make of Auburn right now. They, they've played probably like one good team, maybe uh, another one in, in a non-conference some, or in a midweek somewhere, but they, they played one good team on a weekend uh, or one really good team on a weekend. You know, I, I don't want to slight Wright State and Illinois Chicago here, two teams that I think are going to duke it out for the Horizon League title, but they played UCF and got swept. And, you know, that, otherwise their wins are against a bunch of Horizon League teams. Like literally, they, they, they played three Horizon League teams. It's tricky because then, then you have a team like like a Clemson, which uh, you know we had in last week, but you know they they open ACC play this weekend with a sweep of Boston College, and you know I just have to value that higher than than I have what, what Auburn has done, and Auburn also hasn't you know left uh, left home yet, and I don't mean to single out Auburn. You know there are other teams like this. Uh, they're, they're just one that got squeezed out this week, so that we could add in. Uh, both Pepperdine and Virginia, which have been very impressive and, and done some things. They, they've traveled. Um, you know, Virginia hasn't played a true road series yet, but they did play uh, a, a neutral site series opening weekend against Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, Pepperdine has been very impressive. But, yeah, it's a it's an interesting time. Fortunately, all of this is going to kind of, uh, you know, start to even out as everyone starts conference play within the next couple of weeks. The American and Big Ten are a little further away from that, but the SEC opens up this week. The Pac-12 opens up this week. Part of the Big 12 opens up this week. Some of them uh, take a little bit longer uh, to get going, but but the the SEC and the Pac joining the ACC as major conferences playing conference games this weekend is is going to be a very welcome sight uh, for the rankings and and being able to figure out which teams are actually um, you know the, the the best teams out there. Uh, so if you want to see more about the rankings, you can check them out on the website. Um, we, uh, that we, we do have two, two new teams in the top 10 as well as, is Oklahoma and Duke move in. I have a feeling we're going to get to Duke a little bit later, but first, Joe, I want to start where you are with the Southern California college baseball classic. That's a mouthful. Um, UCLA, USC co-hosting again. Uh, TCU and Vanderbilt came out to to play there this weekend, and USC looked very good going two and one, or at least they looked very good in the first two games. Uh, and, and then U, UCLA looked looked solid, it seems like, uh, and not quite as good of a showing for the the two teams that, that traveled west. Is, is that about the size of it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it was a a really evenly matched tournament. I mean, there were there weren't um, there wasn't anyone that went out there. You know, even the teams that didn't have the weekends they would have hoped that there, there was no team that went out there and didn't look like they belonged. And I think that's good news for a team like TCU. We talked about before the weekend that we wanted to see if this team was a team that you know could get back to where TCU baseball likes to be. Um, and I think so. I mean, they went one and two. That's disappointing, but. You know, they, they faced off against a talented pitcher in Nick Nostrini at UCLA on Saturday. And, you know, they've got a, a veteran lineup in a lot of places, and Nostrini wasn't his best. And so they 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 hit it. They hit him around. And 
UCLA tried a couple of their young arms and UC, or TCU just kept hitting. So I think that's all good news there. I really liked what I saw from Russell Smith yesterday against Vanderbilt. Um, you know, he, his stuff dropped off a little bit in the fourth and fifth innings, but his first three innings was absolutely electric. You know, fastball was up to 93. The changeup was, was outstanding. So I, I really like the look of him. And if, you know, if he's thrown on Sundays, you, you feel pretty good about that for TCU. So, and, you know, Vanderbilt was either one and two team and they're an interesting spot because it was a young offense already. And now Austin Martin is down for, uh, you know, we're, we're not sure how long uh, it's a hamstring injury for him was pulled. Friday didn't play Saturday or Sunday, so that makes the degree of difficulty a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit higher out there for Vanderbilt. Um, you know, we're still we're still believers here. This this team kind of reminds me of the year that Austin Martin was a freshman just two years ago. In in that, uh, you know, if you're looking for positives from a Vanderbilt standpoint, now the expectations were different. They came into this season ranked number one. They did not in that season, um, but that season was kind of marked by a decent amount of inconsistency. You know, uh, they would have games where you know, the young position player group really looked great. They would have games where they really scuffled. And I think that might be the case this season. I think the difference in the two teams is the pitching that Vanderbilt has this year, uh, at least in my recollection of what they were looking at a couple of years ago, was um, is much better this year. I kind of remember that that Vanderbilt team in particular, it kind of felt like they were between, you know, big time arms. Like, you know, they, they had guys like Patrick Raby on staff. Uh, that were nice pieces, but they, they didn't really have, they certainly didn't have a rocker or a Hickman or even maybe a lighter if, if Jack Lighter is as good as we think he can be by the end of this year. So I think that's going to be kind of an ongoing struggle is maybe a strong word, but I think an ongoing question with Vanderbilt is how much they're going to hit. And obviously Martin's return will be, will be a big, a big part of that. Um, quickly on USC. I mean, they, 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 they just got run by UCLA yesterday and, and I, that was in large part due to errors early on that really kind of snowballed on them. And who knows how that game turns out if they, if they get out of those early innings unscathed, but they're certainly going to be tough customer in the first two days of the weekend. Um, I did not see either of those first two games, but Kyle Hurt and John Beller both threw really well. And I talked to some people over the weekend who had been at one or both of those starts and they, and they agreed that it was uh, the, you know, the good version of Kyle Hurt, um, you know, who can be, you know, who can be a little bit inconsistent. And then John Beller, who's just been a nice college pitcher for his entire career, looks like maybe he's taking another step here. So I think they're going to be a tough customer in the first two days of the weekend. They've got, they've got some talented pieces in the lineup, you know, Jamal Ogwin and Ben Ramirez. Um, I obviously did not get to see them on their best day. So uh, better days I'm sure are ahead. The numbers suggest that. So I think, you know, what it ends up being for USC uh, is an open question. I, you know, you and I have had conversations offline about the strength of the Pac-12 and uh, kind of what that's going to look like. But it feels like maybe a year when USC takes steps forward and you can definitely see that it's a better squad. But I I just don't know that that's going to end up with a regional appearance, although doing what they did this weekend certainly moves them in that direction. And uh, UCLA was UCLA. I mean, they're they're pitching really well outside of Nick Destrini and the, the young guys they threw on Saturday, which I, I think that game just kind of got away from them in, in the way that some games just do. But uh, Jesse Bergen was really good on Sunday. And then Zach Petway on Friday was really impressive. And, and he doesn't have that. We've talked about this before. He doesn't have that Friday starter stuff, but he's got the Friday starter attitude. And he really takes a lot of pride in that. We talked, I talked about that with him after the game on Friday when, you know, he was like, I, you know, I wasn't trying to be Kumar Rocker. I'm not Kumar Rocker. I'm just trying to be me. And uh, him is good enough. Like he, he is a really good pitcher. And I think, um, that those two guys, you know, and if they get in a Strini turned around, combined with the bullpen that UCLA has, which is outstanding once again, 
um, I think is, is a recipe for success. And the offense, I think, is deeper than, it, than it's been in the past. I mean, obviously, they've got the headline guys. You know, they've got Garrett Mitchell. And then Matt McClain has taken a big jump forward. Uh, he looked outstanding this weekend. I really liked um, and I'm sure the comp has been made, but Matt McLean actually looks like that kid in the Incredibles dash, you know, the kid with the, you know, like he kind of has that look about him. And maybe it's just because like, he's like a speedier player. Who's like a little bit smaller in stature and went out, but he, he kind of, that's, that's the comp I would put on him. But, um, and I don't mean that <laughs> derisively, but, um, he had, he had a heck of a week and I was really came away impressed, spent some time talking with John Savage about him after the game, after the game on Sunday, um, but then the depth pieces, uh, like Kyle Cuellar had a nice weekend. Pat Caulfield came in and had a nice weekend. Freshman first baseman JT Schwartz, I love his swing. Michael Curiali's had his moments. Um, so there's there's a depth there um, that I think was maybe a concern coming into this season when you when you factor in what they lost in the position player group after last season. There were maybe some question marks about that because we we kind of knew what there was with with Garrett Mitchell. And then we knew the potential with Matt McLean, but then beyond that, it was, you know, there were some question marks there. Um, but it feels like this is an offense that, that has a little bit of, of quality depth there. Uh, so I, I don't think it's going to be just a pitching and defense outfit. I think this is, this is a team that can also uh, put up runs on you quickly. Yeah. I, you know, the, it's a, it's a really strong overall team at UCLA and, you know, I, I we shouldn't be surprised by that given the level of talent that they bring in on an annual basis in Westwood. Uh, but JT Schwartz and, and Mikey Perez really seem to be two things that are, are making this team go in, in the in the early going. And, you know, we knew about Schwartz last year, and, and, and he just, um, you know, unfortunately had the injury that, that, that uh, knocked him out for, for his freshman season. But having those two guys... Uh, playing at the level that they're playing at really really seems to to have been a, a huge boost out of the gate. You know, I mean, a, a lot of attention is going to be on Mitchell and McLean, and McLean has taken a big step forward. But it seems like those two guys could could be some, uh, you know, I, unsung hero to an extent or, or under the radar guys that that are really uh, really key for this Bruins team. Yeah, I mean, Mikey Perez is a good. I, I failed to mention him, but he, he's he's one worth mentioning. He had a, a really good day at the plate uh, against USC in particular. But I was impressed with him defensively. Um, you know, Matt McLean didn't play on Friday. He had a sinus infection. Um, and when I talked to him after Saturday's game, still still sounded like he he said he felt fine and, and actually could have played Friday. But you could tell he had been battling something because he was nasally and sounded a little bit congested. And um, so he wasn't lined up on Friday. And Mikey Perez was playing shortstop. And he certainly did not look out of place there. And then they, they slide him over to second base. And, and he looks good there. So I think he's a really a really versatile athletic player. Um, you know, the son of a, a softball coach and a baseball coach. So he's got those, those good, uh, those good genes there for, for having baseball savvy. And, um, you know, John Savage gushed about him, you know, multiple times over the weekend. So he clearly likes what he's getting from Mikey Perez and, and how could you not? I mean, he's providing steady defense at, at two key positions and is hitting 357 as it sits today. So certainly you'll take that, but he was a, he was a guy, I'm glad you brought him up because he was a guy who, who stood out to me and I think is going to be a really valuable piece um, because he can do so many different things. Um, and it isn't just kind of, doesn't appear to at least be kind of a one-sided player where, you know, he can, he can pick it, but you know, the bat is a little light or vice versa where you're not sure what you're going to do defensively with him, but you want him in the lineup. He, he seems to be a guy that can bring the total package. The, the thing about USC, you know, it's a different regime at USC now. So I, I don't want to attribute things that, that happened in the past to you know, say that they're going to happen again in the future on, on, under Jason Gill. But 
in the past, USC has, I, I feel like, has gone up for this tournament. They, I don't have the record in front of me, but it, it feels like they have picked off UCLA a fair number of times at Dodger Stadium uh, in that, that Sunday finale, which is a, a, a big game. And then UCLA would go out and win the series, the, the Pac-12 series later in the year. So, it, you know, it's, it feels like this is something USC has gotten up for in the past, and, and it hasn't always carried momentum uh, forward. And, you know, I, I know I have personally written that story before, that, you know, USC plays well in the Dodger Stadium Classic. Maybe this is the, the start of something, and then it isn't. But this USC team, if hurt, is going to be good. And I think Beller is going to keep doing what he's been doing. You know, they, they do seem like they might have some significant staying power, especially in a Pac-12 that right now looks pretty soft relative to where it was at least last year. And, you know, that Jason Gill has things running at a, a, a pretty good level here in his first season with, with the Trojans. Is, is, that, is that about right, Joe? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, like, like I said, I... You know, I, I I liked the small sample size and what they were able to do here. I mean, they've also they've also just done a nice job. This, I mean, the record doesn't really necessarily stand out on its face, but um, you know, they've done some nice things at, at other points of the season. I mean, it took two or three from from Seton Hall, played well in the Tony Gwynn Classic, including a win over San Diego State. So um, it's not like it was just kind of they popped up this weekend and and, and took care of business. So, um, but but I'm with you and that. You know, I'm kind of taking a wait and see approach. I mean, the one thing I think, the one thing I think you can kind of point to, and this is again, like you, I, I don't, you know, don't certainly don't have the historical stats in front of me, but this is going to be one of those to use a, a therapy word. I feel um, this feels a little, just slightly different to me, just because I don't know that in the past, you know, we we've had the standout performances right out of the gate to the extent that John Beller, for example, won 12 ERA in 24 innings, um, or you know, Jamal Ogwin hitting 381 through 13 games, or a two-way guy, grad transfer Ben Wanger, hitting 410 at the plate and saving three games and hasn't allowed an earned run yet on the mound. It feels like maybe the high end of what they have is higher than it's been in the past, if that makes sense. And I'm certainly not a scout or an evaluator, I, so I, I don't mean in terms of like the actual latent talent. I just mean in terms of what they're getting feels more real in the way, uh, in, in a way that it maybe hasn't in the past. And that could be me being a prisoner of the moment because I was just out here where they played really well and won a couple of 2-1 games and felt like they're off and running a little bit. But this does feel like a little bit different, but I, like you, am, am kind of just curious to see, okay, you know, what happens when you when you get into, you know, Pac-12 play and, and the book is out on you a little bit. And, um, you know, that, that that's kind of what we'll have to see. And that, that's ultimately what's going to determine whether or not this team is a postseason team for just uh, just the second time since 2005, believe it or not. It's just absolutely unbelievable for the team with the most national championships in college baseball history. The I know it was a different time, but they are still USC and it is still the hotbed of Southern California that, that, they, that they find themselves in. Um, don't want to go too deep on, on Vanderbilt and, and TCU necessarily. We, we've talked plenty about Vanderbilt before, but Vanderbilt now has two losing weekends uh, in the first four weekends, and you know we talked last week about how close it was against Hawaii. Um, Austin Martin is out the last two games of this series, or of this weekend, uh, but 
are there concerns about Vanderbilt heading into to conference play? You know, we talked last week, it's a soft entry. They, they play Kentucky, uh, which as the SEC goes, is the soft entry point. But, you know, the, the, we knew it was going to take time. I, I, the, the preseason number one ranking was more about where they would be in May than where they are in March, absolutely. Uh, but I also didn't expect them to have gone two and four in Arizona and L.A. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought that they probably would have won both of those weekends. Uh, and instead, uh, they, they, they're, they're just two and two in, in weekend. Um, you know, we're calling that weekend records now. Um, but is that is there is there a, a real concern there, or is this just Tim Corbin needs to find the right assortment? They need to get healthy. You know, Martin's hurt. Rocker missed last weekend, and I imagine was somewhat on a limited pitch count. They got him out early because he didn't have control. Um, you know, when I imagine a fully sharp Rocker, uh, you know, fares better. Uh, is is it just a matter of getting those two guys who are you know superstars healthy and you know that things fall in place around them, or is there more going on here? No, I, I think that's I think it's the former. I, I'm not really sounding necessarily sounding any alarms here because the other thing is that I mean you have to win the games, but like it's a lot of close losses, you know. And so I think one or two plays, one way or the other, you know, really kind of changed the complexion of what their season has been so far. And, you know, the individual performances offensively, you know, sometimes it doesn't come together to, to be very much. But I think you have to be heartened by the fact that, you know, Carter Young has taken to, to the game offensively pretty well. And, you know, Ty Duvall has been a nice piece out there. And Cooper Davis at the top of the lineup has been really good. Um, it's kind of the rank the rank and file. And I, I don't mean that disrespectfully, disrespectfully, but just, um, you know, the guys that are kind of more towards... The bottom line for the guys they've been cycling through, because that's the other thing about this Vanderbilt team, and, and Tim Corbin always uses his bench uh, a little more um, aggressively than, than most coaches do. Uh, that's kind of one of his MOs is, is, you know, he'll start a guy in, in late March that hasn't played in a couple weeks, and that guy will go three for four. Um, that's just the kind of thing that that, that, that they do. So that in, in and of itself is not a concern for me, but they, they really haven't, the guys they've been cycling through just really haven't gotten it going yet. Um, so that's kind of the piece I think they're kind of still trying to figure out, but I, I don't really have any big concerns about, about, about the team. I, you know, pitching wise, they're still getting it done. I mean, you, you really can't argue much with what they've gotten from, from rocker when he's been himself. And, and look, I mean, on Friday, he was clearly not himself and he still managed to strike out seven and three plus innings. And that just tells you the level of stuff that he can be fighting it as much as he was. And he can do that. And that was against UCLA. So against any offense less than what UCLA is, there's a very real possibility he gets through five, strikes out eight or nine, gives up one run, and we're just having a different conversation. And, you know, maybe after the game, Corbin said, yeah, he wasn't quite himself, but like stat-wise, we wouldn't have really noticed much. And so there's that, and the the bullpen has been a big-time strength. I mean, Sam Hloboki's been awesome for them out of the bullpen. He's a guy that would probably be in the weekend rotation at this point for, I don't know, 285 division one teams. I don't know. Like he's just been that good. And, and, you know, Corbin after the game, um, you know, after the game on, on uh, Saturday, Friday, I'm sorry, on Friday talked about, 
you know, his role moving forward and said, you know, he's a guy that, that could do some more things, but what he's doing right now is good enough. And that's hard to argue because he's been really good in coming in and throwing three, four, five innings in relief. And that's a valuable thing in and of itself. And Thomas Schultz took his turn um, over the weekend and, and looked really good. And of course we know what Ethan Smith and Tyler Brown bring to the table. So I'm not overly concerned. Uh, I'm just not at this point. If Austin Martin is, if we find out that this injury is worse than I suspect it is, which I suspect it's probably something that'll, things like hamstring pulls take time to recover. And that's kind of always frustrating. But if it turns out it's more than that, which I don't anticipate, um, then maybe we can talk a little bit because then you're losing the centerpiece of the offense. And who else are you looking at to really be the guy that can make the offense go? But as it stands right now, assuming they get him back in a matter of, of, of weeks as opposed to months, um, I'm not super worried. Maybe this is just a less, you know, it's, I think it's destined to be a less offensive Vanderbilt team than what we saw at the end of last year. Um, but this is still a team, given the pitching, which is still better than probably anybody in college baseball. I mean, there there's conversations to be had there, but at their peak, I mean, their staff is prob- is is the best in in the com- in the country, and that's why we had them number one. And they still have the potential to get to that point. Yeah, I, I think all of that is, is fair. I, I would say though that if um, if Austin Martin is going to miss any amount of time, I I would be concerned because he is absolutely the straw that stirs the drink offensively, and and more than that, and, and he can provide more. Uh, I guess if he's injured, but they they need him in that lineup and. You know they need him defensively, and and he he just he's so so good that he, with that being without him for any extended period of time would would be a, would be a problem. Um, he he is one of the more irreplaceable players in college baseball, which <clears throat> is uh, is no surprise given that you know we're talking about him as a potential number one overall draft pick. So of course that guy is is pretty close to irreplaceable. We'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. Hopefully he's back soon uh, for, for Vanderbilt's sake and, and for college baseball's sake because he is, he is quite fun to watch. TCU dropped out of the rankings. It was kind of a hard drop, um, you know, in and out pretty quick for them. Kind of felt bad about it, but it, the, the back of the rankings are crowded right now. I, I have a feeling we'll see the Horned Frogs soon. Like you, I'm, I'm heartened by uh, the pitching staff, by the way the young players are coming along and and I know that we'll be seeing and talking more about the Horn Frogs uh, here as as the season goes on. I, I think that you know it was a tough showing for them out there, but you know it was uh, it was good for them. That that was a good test, and, and that they're going to be better for it going forward. And, and that you know obviously that those those games are going to hold up very well for them uh, in terms of RPI and and you know anything about their their tournament resume um this week they they get maryland at home after playing san diego state on tuesday i guess they're staying out in socal uh for that and then they get maryland as their last tune-up before big 12 play uh so it'll be interesting to to see that one actually that the terps are off to uh, an intriguing start so that's a that's a fun series this weekend in fort worth i want to transition back to the east coast where uh, ACC opened conference play this weekend, and it was a really entertaining weekend. Like that is where I walk away. What what I walk away from with the the ACC this weekend? You know, I um, we we talked a lot in the preseason about how deep the ACC was. We ranked eight pre eight teams in the preseason top twenty five. That was the most of any conference, and you know it. it we we talked 
we put 10 teams in the preseason field of 64 and gave serious credence to the idea of an 11th ACC team, which would be a record. Uh, we didn't pull the trigger on it, but it was, it was really talked about a lot. And then the ACC stumbled out of the gate. Uh, we, you have Louisville and Miami, the, the preseason favorites, lose high-profile series against uh, Louisville or against uh, Ole Miss for, for Louisville. And, and uh, Miami lost at home to Florida, got swept. Uh, on opening day, Duke and Florida State lost to Army and Niagara. Uh, that was that was surprising. North Carolina lost a series at home to Dallas Baptist. That was surprising. Um, yeah, so there was it, it wasn't the best first few weeks for the ACC. Oh, and you know Georgia Tech uh, got swept by Georgia. Can't forget that one. So all of that led to a little bit of uncertainty throughout the conference, at least the way I saw it coming into the weekend. But what what happened on opening weekend of conference play, you know, whether or not any of these teams are going to go out and, and win the conference's second national title in 60 years, I don't know. Uh, but I, it was what I saw was that the ACC is going to be very interesting all season long. I think the depth is there. I think we saw that, and I think that that's going to lead to a lot of really compelling series. We got that this weekend with Duke and Florida State, two top 20 teams uh, squaring off. Duke wins the series. Duke pitched incredibly the first two games, uh, and Florida State was able to, to salvage the third game. Duke moves into the top 10. We got that in Charlottesville, where Virginia uh, was taking on previously undefeated North Carolina State. UVA comes away with two wins. They pitched really well all weekend against uh, uh, NC State offense that was fourth in the country in scoring going into the weekend, and they really limited what, what the Wolfpack could do offensively. Uh, we had a, a stunning upset as Notre Dame swept UNC in Chapel Hill. That was the first time UNC had been swept by an ACC opponent in Boschmer Stadium since 2015, Notre Dame's first ACC sweep since 2016. Uh, so that was a really nice start for Link Jarrett uh, in, in his first season in the league with, with the Irish. And Louisville played uh, a nice series against uh, Wake Forest, pretty well pitched the first two games, and then uh, Louisville broke out the bats. And don't look now, but Louisville's pitching staff, which was a little shaky for the first two weeks, has wholly woken up. And Reed Detmers was outstanding on Friday. Bobby Miller was really good on Saturday. And you know, the bullpen was great. Smith was good. Uh, they're, they're rolling right now. And uh, I, I was impressed by the way they, they handled uh, the, the, the Wake Forest offense, which we know to be a, a pretty dangerous one as well. And, you know, even in some of the series that I didn't touch on, you know, I, Miami needed extra innings to walk off Pitt on Friday. That was exciting. Pitt and uh, or, um, Virginia Tech and, and Georgia Tech played pretty close all weekend long. Uh, Clemson comes out with a sweep of Boston College, which uh, the games were closer than the, the, the sweep indicates. So... All up and down the conference, I, I thought it was a great weekend. I, I thought it was very exciting. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how many answers we have now. Uh, you know, I, I think Joe and I, or we, we still agree that, that Miami and Louisville are the favorites. And now maybe Duke and, and NC State and, and Virginia look like they can challenge them. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was pretty impressed uh, w with the, the way that the, the conference as a whole showed out this weekend. Uh, Joe, I know you weren't able to to probably watch a ton of that, uh, given your location. But what what from afar stood out to you about the the weekend in the ACC? Yeah, it's wild, man. Out here, you you wake up and like stuff's already started. You like feel like you've missed <laughs> things. Like, oh my god, how long did I sleep? And then you're like, oh well, it's 
you know, it's noon out east, but it's, it's, you know, it's, or, you know, it's before 9am here. So, you know, it's kind of a weird, that's a weird deal. Um, I hate that about the, about being in Pacific time. It's, it's it, awful. It, it took some getting, I mean, I'm still not used to it. I mean, only been out here four days, but, but yeah, <laughs> that, that was the weirdest thing that was, was, uh, you know, waking up in, in the morning hours on, on Saturday and, you know, firing up the laptop and realizing that things had already started and not things like occasionally you'll have a double header that starts at nine or 10 AM or a, a weird travel situation where the teams have to start a Sunday game extra early. Like it wasn't even that it was games starting at regular times <laughs> on the East coast, uh, relatively regular times that had started. So it was, um, yeah, that was, that was my first time really experienced that we got a little bit out in Phoenix opening weekend, but opening weekend is weird because games are starting at like all different times opening weekend because there's so many tournaments and, and things like that. So I was kind of prepared for that, but I was not necessarily prepared for it out here. So um, it was it was a weird deal. But yes, I mean, a fun weekend in the ACC. And I think it kind of backs up what you and I thought about it, it being a, a deep conference, like you mentioned, and be just a conference where, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit last week when we had the discussion about Miami and Louisville as the favorite still, yes or no. And um, I think maybe it's the, the the league is a little more condensed than that, and I think we saw that this weekend. And I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to, as, as someone now who lives in ACC country and gets to see these games in person and up close, I think I, I'm here for that because uh, that that seems like it would be a lot of fun to cover. But you know, from the league standpoint, I you know I think they'd probably rather have a couple of teams that are. You know, they'd rather have the, uh, you know, the Big 12 with the team like Texas Tech at number two that's really kind of uh, run through things. So maybe, maybe that's what, what they would prefer. But I kind of like that little bit of uncertainty and, and just kind of week to week, just anything can happen. Um, it is not fun when we have to rank the teams after that, however. Um, but I wasn't really impressed with Virginia. Um, it's a team we liked a lot in the preseason and kind of got put on the back burner a little bit after the the series went or a series loss against Oklahoma opening weekend, just because that's the way it works. You know, you, you kind of have to wait to, to cycle teams back through. And um, so they've certainly earned their place. Uh, the pitching there is interesting, uh, you know, with, with Virginia, the way they were able to handle, like you mentioned, a really good NC State offense. And Griff McGarry had a weird start where he walked to like eight guys, but it gave up one hit. Um, that was kind of interesting. But you know, Mike Vassell seems to have turned a corner a little bit, and, and Nate Savino was was just okay. But Nate Savino's a guy, I mean, he's obviously... Yeah, I, I think the numbers say he was just okay, but hearing Brian O'Connor talk about him after the game, I, it seemed like he was a little better. I didn't watch a ton of Sunday's game. I watched more of Friday's game, but it seemed like he was maybe a touch better than that and that it was uh, very encouraging for Virginia. Yeah, and that's certainly good. I mean, he's, he's obviously a standout freshman, but also, you know... Uh, is is a unique freshman in that he was an early enrollee so um young for a freshman and he's still going out there and, and competing at this level and, and certainly the, i think the expectation is that he will be much better um you know it turned during the middle of the season now the end of the season will be a challenge just because the, the workload but it, give him a few more weeks and, and i think he'll be in a better place than where he is at the start just kind of getting used to playing at this level. So that, that was certainly encouraging for Virginia. The offense too has been pretty good. And, you know, speaking of standout newcomers, Chris Newell has been really good for them. And he's kind of been banked by, you know, some of these guys who have been in this lineup forever, Nick Ken, Zach Geloff, guys like that. So, I mean, you say that, but I, you know, the, the, I think it's, I'm trying to pull up the, the number and off the bat right now, but I believe it's, they have eight players um, that, that this is outstanding. Uh, content right here, but they they have that they, they they have 
five of the eight players who have started more than half of Virginia's 16 games are in their first or second year in the program. So it feels like Kent and Geloff have been there a long time. But, you know, this is Geloff's sophomore years. And, and, you know, they have a few freshmen, a junior college transfer in there. It's a, it's a relatively young group for Virginia. It's not a group loaded with draft picks. There'll be draft picks down the line, but they're not there yet. So I, I, I'm really encouraged by what they were able to do this weekend offensively. Yeah, no, I think that's right. That's a good call. Those are, I guess, guys that just kind of feel like they've been around longer than they have. So that's that's a good point. The other thing is that you, you I mean, you mentioned it, but I feel like it went a little under the radar that this is North Carolina's third straight losing weekend. You know, they they obviously lost the series against Dallas Baptist. And OK, you know, Dallas Baptist, good team, ranked, what have you. Lose two out of three, the Minneapolis tournament, um, you know, long travel, you know, decent competition. Okay, that was that was a little less maybe understandable, but you can still make the excuse there, um, you know. But first year uh, coach at Notre Dame comes in there, and and also it was and, and Link Jarrett. We talked about this when we had him on the podcast. Like, is a very good offensive coach. Like, has good offenses. That's his thing. That being said, um, you know, I don't think we anticipated you know any, any sort of like instant turnaround with a Notre Dame offense that had had really struggled at times the last several years. And yet, you know, they put up some runs on North Carolina pitching over the weekend. And so that is not the way in which I would have expected Notre Dame if you told me they swept North Carolina. Uh, that is not the way in which I would have expected that to happen, especially with a North Carolina offense that, um, you know, is struggling, frankly. I mean, hitting below 250 as a team. Um, so that was a little bit quieter just because North Carolina is no longer ranked. They've been out of the, the spotlight, but um, they are they're really struggling right now. And, uh, you know, they, you know, Notre Dame was one of the weekends. I think they would have assumed that they could kind of get right a little bit. And uh, that obviously didn't happen. Yeah, I, if you are a, a North Carolina fan listening right now, I, the, the spin is, the, the positive spin here is that UNC got swept on opening weekend of ACC play last year. It was on the road at Clemson, but they got swept uh, first weekend of ACC play a year ago and went on to win the ACC tournament and host a regional um, and host a super regional as it turned out that that is so you know the season is far from over here however I am kind of pressing the panic button if I'm North Carolina because I look at an offense that I feel like is not very deep the the lineup does not run very deep right now at all uh, Aaron Sabato got on track this weekend with, with three home runs, and I think he hit four on the week. Uh, he now has five on the season. He had been uh, very quiet to start, uh, so it was very good for him to get going. He hit an absolute mammoth home run on Friday, uh, but clearly they need more. And the other thing is that they are supposed to be a, a pretty good pitching team. Uh, you know, when, when I was looking at them, in the preseason, when we rank them, where we rank them in the top 20, I thought, you know, okay, you know, I, I thought they might struggle offensively. You know, I, I, I'm not surprised that the lineup's not running that deep. It didn't seem like it was going to be that kind of UNC team. It seemed like it was going to be a very pitching team. And that did not play out this weekend. Notre Dame, uh, you know, really took it to them. They scored 25 runs over the final two days. They scored 33 runs on the weekend in Boshmer Stadium, which is not a hitting paradise. That's a that's a pitcher's park um, that Aaron Sabato maybe makes look like a hitter's park, but it's a it's supposed to be a pitcher's park. 
and Notre Dame runs in there and scores 33 runs. So that's concerning. And I don't know what to make of that right now. Um, maybe Notre Dame is, is better than we realize because Notre Dame was very difficult to get a read on going into this weekend because they had, prior to this weekend, not played a team that ranked in the top 100 in last year's RPI and had not played a team that we projected to be a postseason team this year. Uh, I'm still not sure they've played a team that we currently are projecting to be a postseason team. Uh, they may have. I'm not, I'm not sure where UNC stands on that right now. Uh, but you know, clearly this was the best team that they'd played by far. Uh, and, and you know, so I, maybe Notre Dame's better than we're realizing. But if you look at it, Notre Dame's offense looks to, be, looks to have made some significant strides under Lake Jarrett. And, and I, you could have said that before this weekend. Nico Cavadas has hit six home runs already. He's a preseason All-American. He, I think literally half of his hits are home runs. Uh, so he still has some work to do. But when he hits the ball, it goes out right now. And, you know, they're, they're trying some different guys in the lineup, and they have a lot of options in the lineup right now. So those are the positive things. The, um, the, the, the pitching staff, which has been Notre Dame's strength over the last few years at least, is still kind of trying to find itself. Tommy Sheehan has been great at the front of the rotation, and Tommy Vale has uh, been a really reliable bullpen ace. And the bullpen as a whole seems to be a strength, but they're going to need to get the rotation better if they're going to continue to do what they've they've done to this point they're 10 and 2 um and joe boyle has been a little scattered um he he has some really good numbers he has 16 strikeouts in eight innings uh but he also has allowed 13 walks so if you're familiar with joe boyle that's that is an improvement but it also is a problem so if they can get him like fully on track uh which i know is a big 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 ask for a guy that has 13 walks and eight innings, but um, that would be really big for them. And if they can figure the rotation out, all of a sudden this Notre Dame team looks like legitimately dangerous. And clearly they're dangerous as, as presently constructed. But I, I would, you know, I, I, I think they're a team that, that really could make some big strides here in in the first season under Link Jarrett, given what they they've done to this point, and they have yet to play a home game, and they won't play a home game this week either. They they go to Louisville. That'll be a really tough series, but you know because they already have a sweep at North Carolina, they can just win one game at Louisville. If if you go four and two at UNC and at Louisville, if you had told Link Jarrett that he was going to go four and two, and, and like let's let them do that, but like at the start of the season against. At UNC, at Louisville, he would, I'm sure he would sign up for that in a heartbeat. So I, that those are just those are ACC wins that you've banked away already, and, and that's going to be very significant in, in a league where if you just get to 14, 15 wins, you're minimally going to be in the bubble talk. Yeah, I mean, looking ahead, I mean, we did some of this this type of analysis last week, and it's still a little early for this kind of thing. But just a quick glance at what they've got. I mean, your your point is right. I mean, they get two of the tougher, at least on paper, series out of the way early on, and they get Clemson at home. And uh, look, it's going to be um, – the weather will not be great probably in uh, South Bend, Indiana in, on March 20th, 21st, and 22nd. So um, there is that. But then they, you know, they get Pitt, and they get Miami at home. Um, you know, Florida's down the road is tough, but they also have... I, I want to say Miami, April 3, 4, 5, weather's still not going to be amazing. I would, that's I would a good guess. point, yeah. And Miami, notoriously, you know, plays much better at home than they do on the road. They're not one of those teams that, that uh, typically is, is, is nearly a strong on the road, so there's that. But they've also got, 
you know, series with, you know, Virginia Tech and BC, which are certainly winnable series for them. Um, so you can definitely see where they've got some opportunities to at least, you know, pile up some wins and to your point, get in the discussion. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by, by what Notre Dame did this weekend. I'm also, I was impressed by Duke. Uh, I, you know, I saw Bryce Jarvis pitch on Friday night. He carried a, no, or a perfect game into the seventh inning. Retired the first 20 batters, and at some point in there, I was thinking, what if what if Bryce Jarvis just never gives up a base runner at the DBAP ever again? Because, of course, he threw a perfect game there two weeks ago, and then last week they were in Minneapolis when he pitched. And uh, when, it, when, when they finally did give up a base runner, which happened on a strikeout wild pitch, uh, he had retired 49 straight hitters at the DBAP going back to opening day against Army, which is remarkable. Um, Fortunately, right after that wild pitch happened, he gave up a hit. So, you know, it was a terrible way to lose a perfect game. But at least, you know, right away, you know, it, it, it wasn't like that was the only thing that happened. And that's how he lost a perfect game, because that would have just been brutal. Uh, so he gave up a hit. And then he actually walked a guy to load the bases with two outs and before he was able to get out of it. And that walk was his first walk issued since opening day. Uh, his stuff looked really good. A lot of mid-90s, off-speeds were really good, slider in the change-up. Uh, change-up's kind of been his bread and butter. Slider seems to have developed, and all of a sudden, he looks like uh, a potential first-round, second-round type pick. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that you know, he, he's very clearly going to be a, a top-100 pick in the draft, and um, right now, if he was a first-round pick, I wouldn't be stunned at all. So having that guy at the front of your rotation is really good, but Stats-wise, Cooper Stinson has actually been better this year, which is hard to believe because I believe Bryce Jarvis's ERA is 067. Uh, so those two, one, two, and then uh, what Duke can do in the bullpen with guys like Gerard and, and Dockman, um, they're, they're pretty formidable on the mound. I don't know how deep it runs. Jack Carey um, has been okay since he moved into the Sunday starter role a couple weeks ago. Um you know, if he can continue to develop, that would be very good. But right now, Duke is a top 10 team. Uh, they've played very well to this point. Uh, I think that series win against Florida State is going to look good going forward. I'm still trying to get a feel for Florida State. Uh, they've not played great competition, but I, I thought they showed well to, to come out and get that win on Sunday and, and salvage something from the series. And now they'll go home next weekend and play Georgia Tech. They, they do have the not so. Um, small matter of playing Florida in Gainesville on Tuesday, but uh, you know next weekend at home with Georgia Tech, that that's a chance where where they can you know just get get back into their comfort zone and, and maybe um, get right in, in the ACC play. I mean, obviously Georgia Tech is a pretty talented team as well, but being back in Tallahassee will probably be be good for what ails Florida State. It's kind of wild, Joe. Like I, I know you haven't been a Triangle resident for long, but that Duke is the the first triangle team to crack the the top 10. That's that's not a place we're used to being, but Chris Pollard has taken this program to back-to-back -back Super Regionals. Maybe that's the place where, where we're headed right now. Yeah, that, I mean, that really is crazy when you look at the histories uh, of the programs uh, in the triangle and the ACC at large, just that uh, the Duke has arrived in this place. And it's so funny how we get kind of used to used to things like that because it doesn't seem all that weird that we have Duke sitting in the top 10 given what they've accomplished the last several years but it wasn't um it wasn't long ago at all I was about to say it wasn't that long ago it wasn't long ago at all that they were still pushing to try to get into their first regional in however long it was a long time 
50 and, years, I believe it was. I believe yeah. it was like 2016 and it snapped a close to 50 year drought. Yeah, if not so 50 years. It wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't that long ago. So, and then it missed in 17 and, and, you know, it was like, well, okay, like, was that just a one-off? And then they made a super regional and then they made another super regional and now they're a top 10 team. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Really impressive work by Chris Pollard, honestly, like uh, to get this program where it is. And it feels like the right, you know, the way in which this Duke team and historically the Duke team the last several years has had this level of success feels about right. That's, you know, it's pitching and it's winning close games and the team is athletic, but not, you know, not overly physical necessarily. That just feels like the right um, you know, maybe if it had always been the other way, we'd feel that way too. But but it just feels like this is the right combination that he's hit on here uh, to have this Duke team be successful. Um, but, you know, the flip side of it, if you're looking at concerns like, you know, the, the pitching staff, it, it, you know, not going to have two starters with the RAs under one all season. They're, you heard it here first. That's right. Also, yeah, Joe's, he, Joe's handle is at Joe Healy BA, direct complaints to him. Yeah, you can take that to the bank. Bryce Jarvis and Cooper Stinson will not have ERAs under one all year. Um, now, I might bet on them having ERAs under two, and like that would still be really good. Um, that's not a slight at them. I just say all that to say that when the pitching slips a little bit, and as they maybe they start to wear down, and, and the book gets out a little more, and all of those things that happen year to year, um, you know, Duke probably needs a little more offensively. Um, hitting 242 as a team, there have been bright spots like Rothenberg, Matt Mervis, for example. Um, but but they're going to need – it feels like they're going to need a little bit more. I don't I don't think they would – you know, Pollard and his staff and the players would disagree with you on that. Uh, you know, I think they're going to need a little bit more production there. They've never been – to the point I was making a second ago, they've never been a juggernaut offensively, uh, but they've always been uh, – to use a football offensive coordinator term, they've always been pretty multiple with what they do. Like they, they can steal some bases – you know, they've got a couple guys that can run the ball out of the ballpark that, you know, they've usually got a couple table setter guys. So it's a, it's usually a pretty solid offense. It's never, never been a, a, a super dynamic offense, but, but this group in particular, I think it's going to need to do just a little bit more because hitting 242, you know, in the teeth of ACC play, um, you know, seems like a recipe for, for kind of when the pitching staff drops off a little bit, losing a lot of games four to two or five to three. Yeah, it's absolutely a concern. Um, it, it's something they're going to have to look at. Rothenberg has been really good. Mervis has been solid. They need other players to to find their bats. It's it's been covered up for because Stinson and and, and and Jarvis have been so outstanding. But that that is that is a legitimate concern going forward. Joe, I wanted to touch on NC State before we we, we move elsewhere. We, we we mentioned a lot about Virginia State was undefeated. People were. I mean, I asked you on Thursday if uh, State belonged in the the favorite conversation. Um, what do we make of them losing this series and having their offense, you know, shut down for the first time this season? And also, their their pitching staff getting I don't want to say exposed, but Virginia scored 19 runs this weekend, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, you don't want to give up six runs a game either. So, is there is there concern about NC State now, or is this just a, a blip against a very good team on the road? Well, yeah, I mean, you you if you take out the one, if you take out the Nick Swinney start, then you're talking a higher level of, of runs allowed because there was only two runs in the game that he started. So yes, you're really talking about those two games, and that's more of the problem. You know, uh, to me, it's 
I really do still believe in, in Nick Swinney and nothing he did over the weekend should, should change that opinion because he was great again. But there, there is a little bit of a worry that, uh, you know, maybe this is the, the, what we've seen before where the, the NC State pitching staff has some good numbers on paper um, and, and maybe has one or two guys they lean pretty heavily on. But what is the depth like? And then also, when you've split the first two games of the series, what are you left with on Sunday? And it feels like in the past, NC State has had these coin flip games. And you would know better than I as someone who's been in the triangle for a while. But it feels like NC State has these games on Sunday where they're just like kind of flipping a coin on what it's going to be like on the mound. And, you know, this guy gets two innings and this guy gets one and two thirds and this guy gets two innings. And, and they're trying to kind of piece it together. And, and sometimes that works because they find the right combinations. But, but sometimes it famously doesn't. And it, it feels like this is going to be the case where they – they win a lot of Nick Swinney starts. Maybe they lose some of the other starts, and then they end up with a lot of 50-50s on Sundays. And that seems like a tough place to be for a team that that, that we both think has the potential to be really, really good. And, and we, I think we were kind of hoping that maybe this team could break that mold a little bit and, and be a little bit more solid on the mound. And, and I get that part of it is the way they want to set up their pitching. They're not really – it's not like they've been looking for, okay, we need three guys in the weekend that are going to give us – yeah, it, it seems like they're a team that works from the back. Correct. Yeah. So some of that is strategy. Like I'm not suggesting that they've just ended up here because they have no better options. There is definitely a strategy they're working here. Um, but with that said, it does seem like it has put them in a position where where they are having to win some of those uh, up for grabs games on Sundays. And and I think I at least I don't want to speak for you, but I at least had maybe some hope that that they would be a little more solid there. Uh, coming out of this weekend and that maybe there would be a little more known about the pitching staff that could give me confidence that they would be able to support the offense. And and my belief was a little bit shaken in that over the weekend. Although, you know, again, one weekend, I don't want to to blow it up too much, especially on the road. Yeah. At the risk of uh, angering Wolfpack Twitter, I I think this is, I've said all along, I thought this was a pretty typical NC State team. And that's a really good team. That's a team that, you know, is in the mix to host a regional, is in the mix at the top of the ACC. Uh, But I don't know that I see a whole lot different about this team. And just because Nick Swinney is really good, I don't know that that changes the calculus. They've had really good pitchers at various times before. He might be individually better than Brian Brown at his best. But if you take Brian Brown's best year, I'm I'm willing to bet that it would look a decent amount like what Nick Swinney's will look like at the end of the season. We'll, we'll see if that, that comes to pass. But I, you know, I've said a lot of times that, you know, obviously I skew towards pitching. And when I look at the way the pitching stacks up in the ACC this year, I think Louisville is the best. I think Miami is going to have something to say about that. And I came away from this weekend thinking Virginia was maybe the third best. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about what state did offensively this weekend UVA plays in a bit of a pitcher's park, and I really do like that pitching staff. I think what McGarry, Vassell, and Savino provide in the rotation, and that they looked incredibly deep in the bullpen. Uh, Andrew Abbott and Steven uh, Schoch, um, their, their senior grad transfer, both looked outstanding, and there's more in the bullpen besides those two. Uh, so I like what, what Virginia has on the mound a lot. Uh, that's, that's not surprising. A good Virginia team usually starts with good pitching. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about NC State's offense. I, NC, what NC State did on the mound is concerning because it looks, it looks like what we've seen before. And they're, they're going to have to find a way to shore that up if they're going to uh, you know, compete 
head-to-head against Louisville, against Virginia, against Miami. And that's what they're going to have to do to go out and win the conference. So uh, we'll see where that goes from, from, from here. NC State still going to have a very good season, I think. Just, you know, we'll, we'll see exactly what the ceiling is. That, that'll, that'll become more apparent as the, as the weeks go on. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the ACC, and uh, we, we talked a lot about the, the SoCal College Classic. I wanted to uh, just touch on Pepperdine quickly, Joe, because you were able to make it out to Malibu for uh, their, their first game against Michigan. They go on to win the series uh, against Michigan. Michigan now just 8-7 and seven and is in this weird rut of losing every, every second game uh, since opening weekend. Um, they haven't lost two in a row. They haven't won two in a row. They're just winning every other game. And uh, I don't know what to make of that. We left Michigan in the top 25 at number 25. Uh, I think that they're going to get it right. They haven't played a home game yet. They're missing Jesse Franklin. Ben Dragani's hurt. Jeff Criswell hasn't been right. Things are going to get corrected there uh, until they show that those are corrected. There's no reason to think of them as an Omaha team right now. The, the team that, that's playing right now is not not an Omaha team. Uh, they have a lot of offensive issues right now, and Criswell has to be better for them. But I feel good about their ability to make improvements throughout the season. Franklin definitely will come back and, and help the offense, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. All that said, that's still a really good team that Pepperdine beat, and Pepperdine now has four winning weekends to start the season, uh, and, and they're pretty solid winning weekends. I mean, Akron, not a whole lot to, to talk about you know, the Zips and their, their first year back, but the, the first weekend at the Angels College Classic, uh, when they, they swept through beating San Diego, Minnesota, and Oregon, that's solid. They went on the road and swept Florida International. I don't know how good FIU is, but sweeping a series on the opposite side of the country, beating a potential first-round pick in Logan Allen, uh, that seems positive. And then this weekend, you know, Michigan's a strong opponent, and, and you win two out of three at home. So the waves are, uh, I don't know, they're rising, the crat, they're, they're they're flipping surfers. I don't know what do waves do, Joe. They're, they're cresting, maybe. Is that there we is go? There, there it is. Because you're not in the studio, you didn't see me doing like a, a wave motion with my arms that I'm <laughs> doing again. I, I don't waves. I can Pepperdine. picture. My, I can picture <laughs> in my mind. Um, you'd think I'd learn more about waves. I've been on here for four days. I've heard plenty of waves. I've seen plenty of waves. Uh, Manhattan Beach, by the way, beautiful. Went out to the Manhattan Beach Pier. It's great. It was a great time. Spent Saturday morning out there just kind of walking around. There was like a nice, you know, if I'd been trying to get in the water, it was maybe a little chilly. Um, but because I wasn't, it was nice that there was like the ever so slight, you know, chilly wind uh, with the sun it was just really pleasant. Really pleasant way to spend a Saturday morning. So highly recommend that. Um, but yes, I, I have not learned much more about waves, but I have learned about the Pepperdine waves. There's a transition. And, um, you know, so they pitch well, which is not new for Pepperdine. Um, Team ERA under three, you know, I really liked what I saw from Will Jensen. And and when I was there on Friday, you know, the starter that has the worst numbers is Trevor Niskern. And I saw him opening weekend in Arizona, and I really liked his stuff. And some of the peripheral numbers there are good. 232 opponent batting average, 21 to seven strikeout to walk ratio in 18 and a third innings. And then he has a 540 ERA. So it feels to me, without me going combing through the numbers closely, it feels like he's had some bad clustering luck um, where, you know, he's probably just given up a string of hits a couple times that have inflated the ERA beyond what it really should be. So if we had advanced stats, I'd be interested to know what his FIP is. Um, So I really like that piece. 
Um, so they've been good on the mound. That's not new for Pepperdine. What is a little bit new is that I really like this offensive group of players. Uh, Billy Cook um, is a dynamic outfielder who I think is a legit center fielder uh, who runs well, hits for power, uh, you know, just a really physical looking athletic player. You know, he looks like an SEC player. Um, and out here on the West Coast, sometimes that's where you see the difference is you just don't see the physicality in the in the dynamic athletes out here on the West Coast, especially be outside of the Pac-12 that you do, you know, in, in the Southeast. But he, if you plopped him into an SEC lineup, he would not look out of place. Um, so I've been really impressed with him. Obviously, Wyatt Young, the dude just can, you know, just hits. That's all he does. You know, he had a great cape. We've talked about him before. But they've got Justin Lutz, a really physical first baseman who hits with some power, around Maudlin, who you may remember as the third baseman who hit that home run that uh, led them to a win against Oregon over opening weekend. I wrote about that uh, in three strikes the first time around. So I think that's a little bit different this year with, with Pepperdine is I think this is an offense that, um, you know, may come back to the pack a little bit in, in terms of what they're doing right now. It feels like they've really kind of hit their peak. Uh, they're hitting better than 300 as a team. So that might come back a little bit, but I, but I think it's a really good position player group. I think they're going to score some runs this year. And I think that's, that's a game changer for them um, because in the past they've been able to pitch, but you didn't know what you were going to get offensively from Pepperdine. And I, I think this year's a little bit different in terms of that. And I actually went back and looked. So Pepperdine won the WCC two years ago and their RPI was ended up at 101. Now that's after the postseason. So I, you know, I don't know what it was at the time of the, the selection show, but I can assume it was nowhere near where it needed to be uh, to be an at-large team. And I looked through that year and there wasn't anything like what they've done already by winning that series against Michigan. Even if we assume that Michigan is, you know, let's just assume Michigan is what they are right now as a good but not great team. Um, that's still a better a better series win than anything Pepperdine had two years ago um, when they their best thing was winning two out of three of the LeClaire Classic, which included a win over East Carolina. Um, but the other the other games weren't as good there as they were this year, for example. So I say all that to say, um, you know, we talked about last week the WCC being a league, and Pepperdine's a part of this, being a league that has done the early legwork to set themselves up to be a multi-bid league. And I think Pepperdine, I mean, maybe they're just the team, I mean, the team to, uh, clearly at this point, we think they're the team to beat in the WCC. But even if that doesn't happen, they've got some resume items already. You mentioned what they did opening weekend as being solid uh, with wins over power conference teams and now a series win over Michigan. Uh, you know, I think if this is a team that does what they did in the WCC two years ago and wins the league, uh, maybe they'd like to do it with a better than 17 and 10 record, maybe. Um, but if they do that kind of thing again, I think this is a team that has already set themselves up to get back into the postseason. And it's been a few years for Pepperdine. So I think that would be certainly I, it would be a welcome thing for me seeing kind of that, um, you know, one of those historical uh, powers in college baseball uh, back in the postseason. Um, so the, the, the legwork has been done. The groundwork has been laid, uh, for Pepperdine to pull this off. Now, the next step of course is, is keeping it going in West coast conference play, but, but I really like what I see from, from the wave so far. All right. This is going to cost us here, um, in and out review. We'll push that to Thursday, but, uh, let, let's, let's talk West coast, um, postseason outlooks. because uh, it's, it's never too early for that. The West coast conference, as Joe just, uh, talked about is definitely, in a great position as they enter league play for all the reasons he outlined. And I think the big West is looking way better than it's looked in the last few years. The, the demise of the big West, I don't want to say was over, over exaggerated. Um, I, I certainly participated in that and 
you know, they, they were what they were the last two years. And if you talk to people out there, the future, they don't feel great about it because of, um, you know, what the realignment is going to do and, and what their fears are about what that'll mean for their RPIs. But in this specific season, UCSB just had a 4-0 week in which they beat UCLA and then swept Oregon State in Corvallis. They're 13-2. and Long Beach State, we've talked about them a lot. They're 10-5 and five and have a series at Tulane this weekend. Big test. First time Beach is leaving Blair Field for a weekend series. Tulane is legitimately good. Uh, that would be that, that's going to help Beach no matter whether they win or lose. Northridge, 10-5. and five. They got Iowa coming this weekend. They haven't been home since opening weekend. Cal State Northridge, you know, in, in the middle of sunny Southern California, hasn't been home since opening weekend. They're, they're racking up road wins right now, or neutral site wins in, in some of these cases. Hawaii, 9-6, and six, has a win against Vanderbilt. Just won 3-4 of four against Oregon. Looks much improved. UC Davis, typically, bottom of the conference, 9-6. and six. Riverside. Been been near the cellar the last couple of years. Nine and seven. Irvine eight and seven. Poly five and eleven. But those five wins are really legit wins. Uh, I do think this is just going to be another poly team that doesn't play well in the non-conference, plays well in conference, probably finishes second. Who knows what happens from there? But Brooks Lee, Larry Lee's son, who was the one of the best position players, I believe the best position player on the board to, or the second best position player on the board last year to make it to college. He has been out with an injury, but he made two pinch hitting appearances this weekend. That is great to see. It's a little ahead of schedule, uh, so that's great to see as well. And, and getting him back is going to be significant for them. Fullerton, 4-12. and 12. It's been a really hard schedule, but I think we might just have to come to the realization that this Fullerton team might not actually be as good as – the bounce back might not be happening. They've lost six straight. It hasn't been great. Um, they were swept uh, at Texas this weekend. They lost a series to San Francisco. It's – it's not what you'd necessarily want. But overarchingly, the Big West looks like it's it's rebounding, looks like it's in a good spot. The Pac-12, I, I can't say the same thing about the Pac. Um, and they're losing wins against the West Coast Conference and against the Big West, and that's going to really hurt come, uh, you know, come May. UCLA and Arizona State look really good. We have them both in the top 10. Arizona, 10 and 5, we're feeling okay about them still. Uh, but I, I, they're, they're not in the top 25. They're not particularly close right now after um, you know, dropping out last week. We, we didn't talk about them this week. USC, we're feeling okay about it, 9-5. and five. UW, 9-6, and six, a little shaky. And then from there, I don't know. Uh, I thought Oregon, this time last week, I thought Oregon State was going to get it right and, and going to turn it around and be a regional team. And now they're 5-9, and nine and I'm not sure. They still have time to do it, absolutely. They have talent to do it, but uh, they're piling up losses here. They've lost five straight now against San Diego State and UCSB. Um, that's not a great look. That That's not encouraging because they now have to go on the road to Arizona next week, and then Arizona State comes to Corvallis. Like that, that's, that's a lot coming at them in the next two weeks. So the moral of the story here for the pack is that Arizona State and UCLA might host and Arizona probably gets in, and then I don't know what else they're going to get. They, you know, and it's way too early to talk like definitively about that. But I am legitimately concerned about where the Pac-12 is at right now. Um, they're 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 just not picking up quality wins in non-conference play, and that's what you have to do to to help the league rise as a whole. 
last year. That that's part of what helped them them rise the boats for for you know Arizona State having that great non conference is what got Arizona State into the tournament ultimately because it was closer to a 500 team in in conference play. You know, Cal did, did a lot of that last year, and it's just not there this year. And, and you know, Cal and Stanford have fallen off a cliff. Um, I don't know. The, the pack is in a, a tricky spot right now, and, and as good as things look in L.A. this weekend, everywhere else, they didn't look so hot. And I, I just think that right now, you know, early in the season when Joe and I were putting, or before the season started, when Joe and I were putting together the, the first field of 64 projection, we had squeezed out pretty much every mid-major team because I didn't, I didn't see where those bids were going to come from. Well, I now think that those bids are going to come at the expense of the pack because the pack just doesn't look like it's capable of putting the six teams in the tournament that we had, project, that we had it projected for. Yeah, I mean, all that is, is right on, I think. I don't have a ton to add, but just <laughs> I think... <laughs> I mean, you laugh. I'll, tur- I'll turn it back over to the. That was that was my West Coast rant. I, I've been sitting on that all weekend. Joe is like the third person that's heard that, or, or you guys are the third person that heard that. Joe, Joe got that last night. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all. I think it's all right. I mean, I think it's fair. Um, I, I'm with you by and large. I think part of it too. That another thing that I think that's hurting the Pac-12 is actually somewhat counterintuitively at the bottom of the league has seems to be better. And you, you know, you touched on some of it, but Washington state at nine and six and, you know, Oregon got off to such a tough start out in Arizona opening weekend and, and they've been better. Um, so the, the bottom of the league is maybe, and look, I mean, Stanford and Cal off to really slow starts, but their talent level is higher than what they've done so far. So I, I assume, you know, there'll be a little bit you know, of the water finding its level there, but it, it feels like a year when the bottom of the league is better, and that actually hurts the top of the league a little bit because I don't think this is the type of year, to your point, because so many of these Pac-12 teams have struggled to win the non-conference games and, and make hay like they need to make before they get into conference play. It, it doesn't feel like this is a year where there's going to be a lot of Pac-12 teams getting in with borderline resumes. And, you know, if you're not – if you're 17 and 13 in the pack or 16 and 14, certainly – um, that's going to end up being a borderline resume. And if your overall record doesn't really show much in non-conference play, that's probably not going to get you in. And, and there were times not that long ago that the Pac-12 was, along with the ACC and SEC, you kind of thought, oh, you go 500, you're in pretty good shape. Um, not so in, in the Pac-12. Certainly, it doesn't look like it's going to be the case this year. And there really aren't maybe, I mean, we'll see, maybe there, there may not be as many rollover series in the Pac-12 because no disrespect, but Washington State the last couple of years has been a series you feel like you could really, you know, uh, pick up some wins, although their RPI has been so damaging in the past that that actually just playing them has has usually been a net negative for you. And Utah in the past um, past couple of years has been kind of similar in that way. Um, if those teams are better and we assume that Cal and Stanford have the talent to get you if you're not playing well in a given weekend and and maybe Oregon starts to get better as the season goes on under their new regime. And I think maybe you add it all up and it's one of those years when from top to bottom, maybe it's stronger, particularly at the bottom, but it ends up meaning fewer uh, bids to the NCAA tournament come May. Yeah. I mean, I think the bottom is stronger this year. Uh, You know, I don't see a team that is going to crater the way Washington state cratered and Utah, you know, they just won a series in Minnesota. They look better. And you know that's not it's not a surprise. That's a typically pretty solid program, um, and 
but but the middle doesn't seem to exist. Either the middle doesn't exist this year, or the middle is very soft. I I don't know which is true yet, but one of those two things is true. I I don't think this is a case where there's a good Pac-12 middle class because if there is, it hasn't emerged yet, and um, or it's going to be teams that are, you know, making huge, huge strides in one season, like Washington State. Um, and, and, you know, maybe maybe that comes to pass, but I, I just don't think that it, it's going to be that way. And even if it is, you know, I mean, Washington State at, at nine and six, it, you're, you're looking at, at your best weekend being either a split at Hawaii of four games or, or winning a series against Rutgers in Arizona. That You know, that nine and six includes four wins against Niagara this last weekend. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would not say that, that the Cougars are, are going to go and run off, um, you know, 15 Pac-12 wins this year. That, that's not where I'm at. So, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect everyone. Um, you know, UCLA has probably done enough to insulate itself that it, it can go out and, and be a very high seed in, in the overall hosting race. Um, Arizona State's probably going to have done enough, you know, and all of this assumes that those two do really well in, in conference play, but Arizona State probably will have done enough that it can host. Um, but it's going to affect everyone. Everyone's going to get dragged down by it, and it's really good news for the West Coast Conference and the Big West Conference, which, to their credit, are, are going out and winning these games right now. And so if, if both of those leagues become multi-bid leagues, like the, the, this is going to be part of the reason why. And, you know, it, talking to some people out in the Big West, it, it seems like they feel like the talent level in the league has come back a little bit. You, you see what, what Beach has this year. You see what UCSB has been able to reload, reload with, and it looks a little bit better. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason why they're having success. Maybe it's just a, a down cycle for the, the Pac-12. Obviously, there was a ton of head coaching turnover. There was just a ton of talent that left the league last year. When you look at guys like Rutschman and Vaughn, uh, particularly, but you know everyone that that Stanford lost as well, Hunter Bishop and Cameron Cannon and Nick Katana, like that, it, it, everyone it felt like had a guy last year that 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 is gone from that league now, and um, so I I don't think this is representative of anything you know larger than this season, but in this specific season, the Pac-12 um, has not gone off to a good start, and it's gonna. It's going to feel this one all season long, I think. All right, so that is going to do it for us today. We uh, we, we we rolled through a lot of uh, good stuff there in um, in the West Coast and in the ACC. We will be back here on Thursday to talk some more. We're going to probably go pretty heavy into the start of SEC play, which gives us the very very exciting matchup of Georgia and Florida. Those two fan bases put 8,000 people in the stadium in Jacksonville for a fall ball game between those two, and now they're playing a series that counts in Gainesville. So very excited for that. I will be in Florida this week for that as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm extra excited, but uh, I, I think that's going to be a great kickoff to SEC play uh, this weekend. We will also have Joe's in and out review. Uh, we, we've gotten Joe's Whataburger thoughts plenty of times before. It's, it's now time to get his uh, his in and out thoughts. Uh, so you, you all can uh, can look forward to that. Joe, just give me a three word teaser on in and out. Oh, that's tough. I thought I had something, and then like I, I panicked <laughs> there. Um, three word teaser. 
Well, no, see, now it's too late. I've taken too long. They'll just have to listen to the next podcast. All right. So there you go. Joe's three-word teaser is look for the next podcast, which I think is more than three words. Uh, but until then, you can check out all the content over at BaseballAmerica.com. I wrote in depth about the ACC and UCSB and off the bat this morning. And you can check out the full top 25 uh, on there as well. We'll have more to come throughout the week over at BaseballAmerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, B-A. And make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. It, it's a, it, it sends it right to your phone every time we, we post one of these episodes, whether it's Monday or Friday or Thursday, wh- whenever it comes out. Uh, it goes right to your phone. If you are subscribed on your favorite podcasting app, be that. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find the Baseball America College Podcast. So if you have a chance uh, to subscribe, please do so. Please rate, please review. We, we appreciate all of the comments uh, that, that we find there. So thank you guys uh, for, for listening to this uh, very meaty episode. Thank you to Joe for, for letting me talk over him and, and deliver my Pac-12 rant. We will be back here later this week, and we'll look forward to talking to you then. Mm-hmm.